Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. We invite all those who are able to stand in body or spirit out of respect for the Word of God, which comes to us today through the power of the Spirit from Romans chapter 18. We will read in unison this morning, and the Scripture can be, be found on page 529 in your red hymnal. Let us attend to God's Word. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words, And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that in everything God works for good with those who we are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, you want to sit down, but you're not going to. You can stand back up. We have one more reading. So we stay in the book of Acts, now in the 22nd chapter. Paul has made it to Jerusalem. There he has uh, visited the temple where an uproar has uh, developed out of misunderstanding of Paul's message, uh, those who opposed his message, and he has been uh, seized by the crowd. They are beating him even to death, but Paul is rescued by one of the tribune of the cohort, the Roman guard. And as Paul is being protected by the Roman guard and being taken to where they can find out what's going on and what is this supposed crime that Paul has committed, he asked that he might address the crowd that was even beating him. And so Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, hear the defense which I now make before you. And when they heard that they addressed him in the Hebrew language, they were the more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born at Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as, as you all are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brethren and I journeyed to Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And then Paul goes on in his remarks and tells them about what happened on the road to Damascus when he was riding a donkey and got knocked off of his beast of burden by a blinding light and a voice from heaven and Jesus Himself saying, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul is blinded. He is taken to Damascus and there God sends a messenger, a follower of the Lord, Ananias, who speaks to Paul and says, the God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the just one and to hear a voice from His mouth. For you will be a witness for Him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. And then Paul goes on to tell of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and being charged to share the good news with even the Gentiles. My friends, in Christ, this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, if our clerk of session is right and it takes stress to thrive, if John Ortberg is right, uh, pastors, we're doing great. I'm getting younger every day. Hard to believe 25 years of ordained ministry, but what a blessing to serve the Lord and to serve together with you. I'm grateful. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth 
be your words. The meditations of our hearts be inspired by you. That by your Holy Spirit present with us here and speaking today, that we might hear your word and your word alone and that we might understand it and then by the power of your spirit, live it out today and in the days to come. For your glory, for Christ's sake, for the salvation of humankind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a riddle this morning to keep your minds active. See if you're thinking. Let me engage you with this riddle. See if you know the answer. What is bigger than God? More evil than the devil? The poor, do, the poor have it. The rich need it. And if you eat it, you will die. What is bigger than God? What is more evil than the devil? The poor have it, the rich need it, and if you eat it, you will die. What's the answer? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's bigger than God. Nothing's more evil than the devil. The poor have nothing. The rich need nothing. If you eat nothing, you're going to die. That's exactly what this sermon is about. Nothing. If you remember nothing else, you can tell somebody today, how was church? And they'll say, oh, it's fine. What was the sermon about? Nothing. (laughs) There's a title, Nothing is Wasted. What I want to tell you this morning is that in God's economy, nothing is wasted. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. But we produce a lot of waste. Particularly as Americans, we make up 5% of the world's population. Do you know the percent of waste that we produce as Americans? 5% of the population, how much of the waste do we produce? Of the world's waste? 40%. You know, I spoke with you a couple of weeks ago about the minimalist, about getting stuff out of your life that clutters your life. Well, now I'm starting to learn more about garbology. You can Google that. And you find some interesting facts about our affinity with our trash. 5% of the population, 40% of the world's waste Each one of us as Americans on the average produce 4.4 pounds of waste per day. Extrapolate that out out over a year, we produce 1,600 pounds, almost a ton of waste a year, each one of us. And now multiply that over the course of our lives. That's a lot of trash. In reading about this, uh, this production of waste, did you know that in California alone, that 600 Ziploc plastic bags are thrown away per second? 600 per second in California alone. Did you know that we produce enough plastic in the United States on an annual basis to shrink wrap the entire state of Texas. And some people are thinking that wouldn't be a bad idea. (laughs) We produce a lot of waste, but in God's economy, nothing is wasted. 
And thinking about this, I hearken back to the year that I spent in Kenya, Africa, right after graduation from Davidson College, looking for God's call, direction in my life, trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do. Went and taught high school in Kenya, Africa for a year, and I tell you that one of the things that astounded me when I got there was how happy these people are who seemingly had nothing. They're people full of joy. But the other thing that struck me were the children who took trash and turned it into treasure. Old scraps of plastic and twine became a a valued soccer ball. And anybody who's traveled in a third or developing world, you know what I'm talking about. And a stick with some old scrap wire shaped into the form of a little car or bicycle with little scraps of rubber wrapped around makeshift tires and pushed all through the village as a prized possession. There's a little boy in the village where I lived and he could take just about anything and turn it into a carved beauty. And and one day I saw where he had taken a stick of wood and turned it into the neck of a guitar and then took an old uh, one-gallon soybean oil can from USAID, cut a hole in it in the front and to the top and attached that, that neck of the guitar and strung it with wire and made an instrument. And that reminded me of an illustration that I used in a sermon a year or so ago and showed the film during one of our Ignite worship services. And you can Google this too. Google garbology. Easy for me to say. And, and, And Google landfill harmonic, which is a beautiful video story of the children of Paraguay who live on or near a landfill and artisans and people have taken wood and metal and scrap and carved and molded and welded it into into orchestral instruments and they play classical music on trash instruments. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. And what I mean by this is God takes the junk, the seemingly meaningless events, episodes, missteps, and salvages it and transforms it. And it's true, the God, the sovereign one, the gracious one does not waste the stuff of our lives. Even when it makes no sense to us, or anyone else for that matter. You know, people say that the devil's in the details. God's in the details. God is in the details, the minute details of our lives, and nothing is wasted. Even the smallest, seemingly most insignificant things in God's economy are not wasted. And we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. As we've gone on this journey through the Acts of the Apostles, we started post-resurrection. We started with the, 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 the event at Pentecost when the disciples become apostles because they, they experience the risen Lord and the power of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they are empowered and sent to take the gospel, the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ into the whole world like a pebble dropped in a pond, they expand like ripples with power 
and purpose. And we have followed them through the first part of the Acts of the Apostles. And then we came to the ninth chapter and we were introduced to the Apostle Paul and the conversion event that he spoke about today in chapter 22. And we have followed Paul from his conversion on the road to Damascus. We have followed him on his missionary journeys through hardships. And like the Gospels, now what we are seeing in the Acts of the Apostles is that the action is slowing down. If you think about the Gospels, you get about halfway through Mark, halfway through Matthew, halfway through any one of the Gospels, and what happens is, is we have been speeding along with Jesus' public ministry for three years, and then we, we slow down and we look at every day of the last week of his life and every hour of his last day. And that's what's happening in Acts now as we slow down and look more intently and purposefully at the details of Paul's life and his ministry and the activity of the sovereign God in those events. So what's happening in, in chapter 22 we see more details. And Paul has arrived at Jerusalem where he wanted so desperately to go as he finished that third missionary journey. He has arrived there. He has been preaching the Gospel to the Gentiles, to Asia and to, and to Greece. And as I remarked, he arrives at the temple in Jerusalem and there he is misunderstood. There's a controversy about Paul's ministry. And the Jews believe that Paul was teaching against the laws of Moses. But even more than teaching the laws of Moses, Paul was teaching about keeping, not just keeping the laws of Moses, but by what happens with an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ and how a life is changed and that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And those in the crowd that day did not want to hear it. And they seize Paul and they're ready to beat him to death and finally be done with him. But there is a tribune of the Roman co cohort that is called to rescue Paul from the clutches of those who would take his life. And as Paul is being led to the, to the place where they may figure, try to figure out what's going on here, what has he done, is there a crime, should it be punished, Paul asks the Roman guard, let me speak. And the crowd is quieted. And Paul speaks in their language, a detail that is important. And not only does he speak in Hebrew, he speaks with their own accent, the Scripture says. And they get even more quiet, not believing their ears. And Paul says, I'm a Jew, y'all. He's one of us. And Paul goes on to say, I was born in Tarsus. And I studied here in this city under the great teacher that you know well, Gamaliel. I have been a good follower of Yahweh. In doing what I thought was right, I was persecuting unbelievers even unto death. But then something happened in my life. And I was this. And now I am this. I was this way and now I am transformed. My eyes have been opened by the grace of God. And I see things differently. I was knocked off of my 
beast of burden. I was blinded, but now I see. And I heard a voice of the living one speaking to me, and I have been sent by the living one to share the gospel. And my friends, this is Paul telling about Jesus and who He is and what He did and what He's done and what He wants to do. And Paul is evangelizing by just simply saying, this is what happened in my life. And I was this way, going this direction, and by the grace of God, I have been changed. Nothing in Paul's life is wasted. Where he was born, where he went to school, the person he studied under, how God has intervened and used all of Paul and his experiences, his heritage, his upbringing, and his gifts. And he has been sent for a larger purpose and now is brought back to Jerusalem. Even the fact that he is a Roman citizen is mentioned in this chapter and important to saving his life. Why are you going to beat me, a Roman citizen, and I have not even had a trial, he says. There is nothing that is wasted in Paul's life. And in God's economy, it is all valuable. Not the sufferings, not the beatings, none of it was wasted in Paul's life. He makes a list of everything that he endured in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians. He goes through the long list reminding those in the church what had transpired in his life as he tells them, I have encountered beatings even unto almost death. Five times I received 40 lashes less one, he writes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I spent a night and a day at sea. I have experienced the danger of rivers, of robbers, of my own people, of the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, upon the sea, from false brethren, I have experienced insomnia, hunger, thirst, cold, exposure, daily pressure, and the anxiety of all of the welfare of the churches that I love and have founded in Jesus' name. And I thought I had 25 years of hardship in the ministry. And Paul says, I don't say all of this to boast how great I am, but how great Thou art. I boast in the Lord. None of it was wasted. All of it is used by God. Yes, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. And Paul knew this. He knew the sovereign hand of the living God upon his life. And that's why Paul could write to the Romans, Words that are true for us that we read today when Paul says all things work together for good. 
for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Paul didn't say all things are fun. Paul didn't say all things are easy. Paul didn't say all things are crystal clear. All things are happy. All things go along with my plans. No. He said all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And Paul also said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul may not have been able to say or to see exactly how or where or when, but Paul knew full well who was in control and who would provide. Paul knew the faithfulness of the sovereign God, the love of His Son, and grace extended, and Paul knew the power of the Holy Spirit. And thinking about all this, can we extrapolate something closer to home that we might be able to identify with? Well, let us look at the, at the mere history of our beloved church, First Presbyterian in Columbus. And looking back at, at our history, nothing has been wasted. And God's hand is clearly seen in 14 people who knelt down and prayed and charted this church in 1830 right here on the banks of the Chattahoochee with Indian frontier stretching out beyond, enduring a civil war, a crippling fire in 1891 that left this house of worship in ashes, cultural turmoil, the time when the church put secondary issues in front of the primary purpose of being the church, the death of a pastor and who was in, in service of the Lord here, and now the church enduring a post-Christian era. And the church and Christians are more persecuted and cast aside than has been the case in centuries. Even in the midst of our own debates and decisions, we have seen and will see the sovereign hand of a loving God. All things work together for good. And some of you may be saying, well, that's okay for the Apostle Paul. That's okay for the history of the church. But what about me? What about me in my life? And what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing right now? What about that cancer diagnosis? What about the illness that my child is facing? What about the aging of my parents and whether they will be okay or not? What about the job that is tenuous or the one that I've lost? What about my spouse's infidelity or the divorce that I'm going through or have gone through? What about struggling with my addiction? What about the financial crisis I find myself in my life? You fill in the blank. What about... And in the face of it all, Paul does not say all things are good. Rather, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. 
Nothing in God's economy is wasted. Nothing. Not even times of hardship, for God will bring value out of it. Not during times of doubt, for God will build it into faith. Not during times of fear, for God will transform it into joy. Not even in the face of death, because God will show that life is victorious. Not in the face of mourning, God will turn it into dancing. Not when we despair, for God will show us a future and a hope. Nothing is wasted. Thomas Merton has been an important person in my ministry for many years. And I love his writings, and I particularly love the prayer that I put on the front of the bulletin this morning. It's one that I've had taped on the printer that sits on my desk for probably 10 years, and I find myself gravitating to it when I'm asking, Where are you, God? Do you care? Can I keep on going? Is all of this true? Does it matter? And Thomas Merton prays, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following Your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. And I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always though I may be seen to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. This was true for Thomas Merton. It was true for the Apostle Paul because it was true for Jesus Christ. who doing not His will, but the Father's will, faithfully went to the cross, but there we see that not even death could separate Him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And life was victorious over death. And we believe, my friends, that because this is true for Jesus, it is true for us. And that there is nothing in our lives that is wasted in God's economy. God redeems it all. Nothing is wasted. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing in all of creation. Not even death. Nothing. 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 In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.